Welcome to our Year of Biblical Literacy podcast. I'm your host, Jake, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Pastor Michael Bailey. Hey. Hey. How we doing? I'm good, man. How are you? I'm great. And with us, as our guest, she is a friend of the show. She is a friend of mine. She is a leader at our downtown church. She is a minister with InterVarsity. My kids call her Aunt Lizzie. You may know her as Lizzie Keegan. Hey, Lizzie. Hi. That was quite the introduction. That was a great introduction. Also, I feel like from the title of this episode, it's going to sound like I'm the expert on the new. On the old. That's Testament. how I feel about you. So, <laughs> like our guest. I do not have a degree about the Torah. For those that don't know, Lizzie, can you talk about your role in our teaching team? Yes, I am a member of the teaching team that meets every week. If people are not aware, the sermons um, at our church are written as a community. Uh, Different pastors kind of take turns working on the drafts of them, but we look at them. Jake leads the team, so you would know. I mean, I think we start six to eight weeks out looking Mm -hmm. at directions, and we edit each sermon probably at least three times. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I get to sit on that team and help give feedback and help us think through um, as a church, particularly, I think sometimes I'm often the one speaking, you know, what are, how are women going to feel about this? And then mm-hmm. how are single people, I think is another role I often bring in, but it's, I've been doing it for almost among other things. Oh yeah, of course. Yeah. I just, I just think that's sometimes the, that's maybe the lens that. Lens well, that it can I certainly be a gap that we have that I think you help us uh, fill. You know what I mean? Yeah. And uh, I did not mean that as an insult, by the way, oh, uh, but also, I'm coming up on six years of Whoa. being a part of teaching team. So wow. isn't that crazy? That, that is, is crazy. cool. So I love that. Yeah. We are having this one. You might already see on the episode title that we are interviewing an expert in the field of the Bible, specifically in the Torah. What y'all are about to listen to is an interview that I did a while back with Professor Dr. Gary Schnichter. He is from Cairn University in Langhorne, Pennsylvania. He is the distinguished professor of Old Testament there. He's written numerous things, a few of them that I want to highlight. He's written this giant book called The Old Testament Use of the Old Testament, mm. which I think is on the oh, shelf yeah, right, right there. There, there yeah, it is. Look at it. He wrote a book, Old Testament Narrative Books. His expertise is in how we understand that. But specifically, what he's on this episode to highlight is the Torah. And he wrote a book called Torah Story. This book that he wrote, Torah Story, is a textbook that college students, seminary students work through. Mm-hmm. And that, that book is designed that way. And he's had a number of people, other well-known professors kind of in the field of Torah studies actually work with him to put this book together. It's in its second edition, but it's very fascinating. So as we were doing this series and talking about the importance of the Torah and the importance of narrative within the Torah, I thought, man, this is just, this is our guy. So Uh, let's quite literally wrote the book. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Jake, will you uh, speak for a second since we're going to be doing a number of interviews and interviewing some scholars, will you just talk for a second about, your desire to do these interviews and what you're hoping for our church family out of interviews with scholars. Yeah, that's great. So with our whole year of biblical literacy, overarching goal is to raise up our biblical literacy levels. And I learn so much from experts Mm -hmm. and I made sure even in our interviews to say, talk to me like I'm brand new to the Bible. Help me 
understand with your expertise that you've been studying for decades, how do we translate this over to people in our church who might not be familiar with just the basic vocabulary? Yeah. And I, granted, I'm a few interviews in, but I've already just gleaned so much from the fact that these professors are people who love Jesus, love the Bible. They've been thinking about it for a long, long time. Mm. And their desire is to benefit and equip the church. Mm. And I'm just very grateful for that. The thought listening to you share is that, yes, we want this stuff to be accessible to anybody who has is new to the Bible or who hasn't really dug into sort of the life of the mind side of studying the Bible. But I also just want to point out, like, you never arrive in studying the Bible. Like yeah. Jake I does not like to probably promote this a lot, but Jake has seminary degrees and plural, plural. We're cutting plural, all this working out. This on will, another this one. Not go in. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, but still is hungry to learn and yeah. learn from experts. Like you never, I know there are people in our church who have degrees from Bible colleges, from mm-hmm. seminaries, those mm-hmm. kind of things, but you never arrive. We always yep. want to be learning from people who've studied, um, more than we have. Absolutely. Yeah, that's something we talked about in, I think, one of the previous episodes of just how much of a treasure trove the Bible really is. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, you you don't ever arrive. You know, like, the well just goes so deep. Uh, and that's a bit, I think, of what we're even trying to do with this whole year uh, by providing all of the supplemental stuff for our churches is, hey, guys, the well is deep. Let's drink. You know, that <laughs> for that sure. Kind of thing. That's good. Before we listen to this quick little disclaimer so we get a little technical in the interview dr gary schnichter mentions in the interview he uses this word prolegomena but just a quick disclaimer as to what he means by that because i think it's pretty helpful in how we understand the torah so prolegomena is german and essentially it's a reference to historical criticism of the old Mm, testament and specifically historical criticism of the torah So basically, historical criticism kind of emerged out of Darwinian theories. Darwin posits that here is this complex organism, and the only way we can explain this complexity is if it evolved over time. And over time, it evolved into this complex thing that we have now. Academics, way back when, took that idea and related it to the Bible, specifically with the Torah. The Torah is a really complex piece of literature. How did we arrive here? It must be that it originated from these smaller pieces that then evolved over time to the book that we have. There is a way you can easily subvert that. I don't think so, but even if you had some substantial argument for that, mm. ultimately what we have is the final form mm-hmm. of the text. It's like, we don't have those original manuscripts. Those are theories. What mm. we do have in front of us is the scripture that is in front of us that the Jewish community has held to for thousands, thousands of, of years. years. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Therefore, us trying to break down the smaller pieces might be helpful, but ultimately it's irrelevant to the larger conversation Mm of why is the Torah here? What is the narrative it's trying to communicate? And what is it meant for God's people for centuries? Exactly. So um, all Torah scholars have to wrestle with historical criticism. And that's just an easy way of like, yeah, ultimately it doesn't matter. What matters is the final form. Mm. So that's important to know for some of our conversation, but all in all, We hope you enjoy this. Again, this is Dr. Gary Schnichter from Cairn University, author of The Torah Story. Enjoy. 
Gary, I'm curious to hear from you. Uh, what were your initial impressions of the Bible when you first encountered it, however long ago? Well, I was, uh, it's just a kid. And so I, I grew up in a, um, a, a Christian environment, but it was, it was pretty, pretty uptight. And so, uh, I think my first impressions, I, I always thought that the scriptures were true and right, but I thought it was no fun. So I always <laughs> sort of, uh, as a young person, just pushed back against the Bible and it was sort of stuffy, but I think, again, in my youth, I probably mixed together the brand of Christianity that I was a part of with the Bible itself. And mm. I suppose that's natural, but uh, that's that's really, I, I didn't have the best view of it growing up. So I'm curious for you, what changed for you to start seeing the Bible in a new lens or seeing the Bible on its own terms? Was it a book or a mentor? How did that change for you? Uh, I mean, my the Lord really got a hold of me in high school. Uh, later in high school, I was a friend of mine and myself, we were pretty bored. So we went to a youth ministry that met in the pastor's basement. And there was about 200 kids there. And so oh, wow. what I was surprised by having grown up in church, these kids were excited. They were singing, they were laughing, they were having a great time. But then when the pastor got up to speak, it was just as quiet as could be. The kids were paying attention. Most of them were taking notes. And I was looking around me thinking like, what is going on here? I've never seen anything like this. What are they so interested in? I've heard everything about this in the Bible before. And so that was really a um, significant surprise to me that there was such a thing as a, a more attractive kind of Christianity and uh, that people would be actually interested in the scriptures. So that really was a major turning point in my life. And I wound up be becoming very involved in that youth ministry and decided to go study uh, biblical studies and go into the ministry and all of that. So that's, you know, that's the beginning of a path that led me down to college and uh, eventually to seminary, um, which was not part of my original plan. Very similar. I was on, before becoming a pastor, I was on staff with Campus Crusade and very similar upbringing. And it was freshman year of college within my first week going to a Campus Crusade, Crusade meeting and very similar of people my age and they like the Bible and want to read the <laughs> Bible and what is going on. And God really used that to grab hold of me for change the course of my life now, 20 years later. So that's, yeah, so I think it's really, I, I think that's a good testimony of yours. It's just so important to our uh, witness to have a vibrant Christianity and to keep the most important things in focus and forget the rest. So I'm curious going from high school and the Lord using that to grab you. And then you're on this trajectory of seminary and ministry uh, tell me about what made you want to pursue a PhD and specifically in the Old Testament. Uh, I don't know about you. I get made fun of quite a bit for wanting to study the Old <laughs> Testament. Uh, I don't know if you experienced that at all, but tell me about that journey. Yeah, well, this uh, definitely wasn't plan A for me. Um, I'm 
uh, I'm really from blue collar roots and uh, working class kind of folk. And so even going to seminary was uh, just sort of a, a surprising development. I uh, I was going out with a girl. She She's now my wife, but we went over to, uh, I, I took her over to her friend's house and her friend was one of my college professors. And I, I was most of the way through college by then and on a trajectory for youth ministry. And this college professor uh, saw that I was over. So he sat and talked with me for a while and he told me I should go to seminary. And I said, I'm not going to seminary. Hmm. Uh, I, I want to serve the Lord. And he's like, well, if you take this time and just study for a few years, it'll change the course of your adult life. I said, wait a minute. You want me not just to go to seminary, but you want me to pause from um, my involvement in ministry and just study? I said, what What are you talking about? I said, there's no way. Well, I, I, I shared this, what I consider to be a humorous conversation with my girlfriend when I was taking her home. And Sherry said to me, I, I think he's right. And so it was just this moment of uh, turning my mind to say, well, I wonder if I should go to seminary. And so that that set of conversations um, led to, I decided to go to seminary. I did not have a PhD in mind at the time. Um, I guess I'm not a very good planner because uh, I, I wound up not really deciding to do these things until after the fact. Mm. Um, but I think um, one of the, uh, there's too many factors to say why I made any other decisions because I've never been one to be planning ahead and trying to figure all that out. But I think that uh, some of the reading I had done was uh, focused on the Old Testament as scripture. And it, it, it really struck me that, you know, there was so much focus in most of the studies that I had been doing on, um, you know, we call it critical source criticism, and it was very dominant. And so even though I was studying among evangelicals, they focused on how, right, uh, in the case of the Pentateuch, Moses wrote the Pentateuch. And so they fought against this source approach that the Pentateuch was assembled by these different authors. And whether there's truth to all this or not is not the point. That The point is, we spent very little time actually studying the Old Testament as scripture. And so reading that book and realizing, well, wait a minute, let's just say that there's some truth to all this that we've been doing. When are we actually going to get around to studying the Bible instead of Mm -hmm. studying all these prolegomena and all this um, introductory sorts of things? We need to study the Bible. And so that that was a major uh, factor is doing that reading and the technical term is, uh, I guess they call it canonical criticism back in those days, in the 1980s, 1990s. But I think it was just the realization that this is scripture, and it wasn't the Old Testament. It was the Bible of Jesus. It was the Bible of Paul. And so, I mean, these are maybe pedestrian sorts of observations today. But if you can think back or imagine back when you do your reading, Jake, uh, to the sort of things that were current back then, nobody was doing literary approaches uh, like you're doing for the Old Testament. 
I think that's a, a great segue into my next question. So you wrote the book on Torah, like you have a, I'm looking at it right now <laughs> on my desk. I didn't write Torah. Right. Outside of Moses, there's <laughs> Moses and then you. Um, and oh, you, give, on. <laughs> you give uh, the source criticism, you give that like just one paragraph in the textbook. But other than that, I mean, you are breaking down here's what each book is trying to accomplish. Here's what Torah is trying to accomplish. Uh, I'm curious, what was sort of the catalyst to writing an entire textbook on the first five books of the Bible? Well, I, I think that um, when I was, uh, I, got, I got my first teaching post and uh, we all do what we can. And so my first teaching post, I was filling in for somebody that was doing some studies. So it was a two-year post and I was um, teaching Greek and New Testament for this um, professor away getting his doctorate. And so I'm in Romans class and um, this Romans, of course, uses the Old Testament a lot. And the students are asking all these questions and I'm trying to figure out what Paul's doing. And so I, I think that it just dawned on me that all of this goes back to uh, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. And so I, I asked my supervisor, I said, will you let me teach a section of Pentateuch this spring? He said, well, I will, but I'm not going to pay you for it. You have to do it <laughs> um, just as, as something extra, because I need you to do these other things. I said, that's fine. I'll, I, I want to teach it. And so in my mind, wow. I, I'm thinking, all right, I'm going to teach the Pentateuch this spring, and then I'll figure that out and move on. Well, <laughs> I haven't really gotten over that, right? So <laughs> I'm still trying to figure out, you know, how does Torah work? What does it do? And I think what really surprised me because of these other things I mentioned, reading Torah now as scripture and um, focusing on the message of the Torah itself, not all the prolegomena. I realized this is where this message of redemption gets started. This is where it all begins. And the rest of the Bible comes out of this. And, you know, if we're to understand Christ and the gospel and the New Testament and the great works of redemption that the Lord has done, I really need to devote myself to Torah. Mm -hmm. So I eventually got invited to, um, I was having breakfast with a guy. Uh, this is maybe in the summer of 2000 having breakfast with a guy at a conference up in Canada over summer break. And I was going on and on about some things, <laughs> very animated. And after breakfast, a very nice gentleman, he says, listen, says, I work for uh, Zondervan Publishing House. If you'd be interested in putting together a proposal, I'd love to see it and do something. So I sent him um, the proposal and he hated it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But he said, he said, listen, what about what you do in your class? And so I said, oh, I guess I can, we can do that. So I wound up setting him a different, putting together a different thing for him. And that eventually became Torah Story, which uh, I guess you probably know um, when we're recording this, I just was able to put it out in second edition this year. So it was um, very, very, um, I'm just grateful to the Lord for the really good reception of the book and um how it, it's it's definitely helped me and my students, but I think uh, I'm glad that it, it's been of use to other people as well. 
I want to dive more into Torah story, but first, zooming out just a little bit, before we get into your area of expertise, what do you think people approaching the Bible, perhaps for the first time, need to know about the Bible? And where does Torah, Pentateuch, the first five books, how does that fit into the overall big picture of what the Bible is trying to communicate to us? I think that one of the things that um, really w- would help today, and I'm speaking especially to our moment, uh, there's so much uh, pushback against Christianity and organized religion, the Bible, the God of the Bible. And because of the the rise of um, the internet, for lack of a better term, just in these um, past couple of decades, there's all sorts of just outrageous things that people think they know about the Bible that are so contrary to what we find in the Bible. So I think the thing I would especially just suggest is anyone who can push off everything, all of the noise, uh, the noise from our uh, critical secular culture, uh, even some of the noise from sort of the politicking within Christianity, and just read the Bible. Uh, I would en- I would encourage a person to try to read the Bible with an open mind, with questions, and to consider it without trying to look for these problems that so many have uh, pointed to when they say, you know, the God of the Bible hates people and Christians hate people. Well, that's not a helpful starting point for reading the Bible. Um, so I-, I would say that. And on the other side, I mean, many Christians, of course, uh, they have all sorts of agendas too. And um, it's really amazing how in the name of good things like uh, Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, and the New Testament, that the Old Testament and especially the Torah has been sort of given this backhanded um, treatment by so many Christians. And it's such a failure because, you know, no New Testament author and the Lord Jesus Christ himself, they never put down Torah or the Old Testament. They they recognize that the gospel begins in Torah and that uh, the, the only way to have a plan of redemption and to have a Messiah and to have a gospel is to have an Old Testament. I mean, we had the gospel and we had a Messiah before there was a New Testament, but there's yeah. there can never ever be any such thing as a Messiah or the gospel without Torah. That's good. So just to unpack that a little bit, when you said there was a Messiah gospel before the New Testament, like Jesus entering time and history before the New Testament scriptures were written. So that, that's correct. I mean, there's no need for a New Testament, um, but there definitely is a need for the Old Testament, mm. and so. You know, I'm glad we have the New Testament, but you know, one thing that maybe a lot of people don't think of when they're preferring the New Testament, Jesus of Nazareth is practically an Old Testament professor, and his mm-hmm. students uh, and all of the other writers of the New Testament are practically Old Testament professors. The New Testament is about the Old Testament come to fruition in the gospel of Christ. Yeah. And I, 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 I don't think that those that prefer the New Testament and don't have time for the Old Testament realize what they're saying. I mean, I don't think they could. 
I'm curious to get your thoughts on this. I'm going a little off book, but I had a New Testament professor of mine talk about how if the gospels are sort of the center of gravity for the New Testament, so you have Acts and the epistles, everything is sort of stemming off of what happened within these within mm. the fourfold gospel account. That Torah is like that for the Old Testament. It is the center of gravity. And then everything else is sort of playing off of themes and ideas that occur within those first five books. I'm curious, is that accurate? Would you nuance that out a little bit more? I thought it was helpful, but I'm curious to get your thoughts on that. Yeah, I think that that's a way to put it. I mean, we can make it concrete rather than just abstract. But if we take uh, a New Testament book like uh, the Letter to the Hebrews by an unknown author, well, that the author is almost always interested in interacting with the themes and the message of Torah, but he almost never quotes Torah. Hmm. He in, in, in Hebrews 2, he's interested in creation. So he quotes Psalm 8, which is a one of David's reflections on Genesis. Hmm. When he's interested in uh, the sacrificial system, he quotes from Psalm chapter 40. When he's interested in the Mosaic Covenant, he quotes from Jeremiah chapter 31. Mm -hmm. uh, when he's interested in uh, each thing, let's just say, he's accessing not directly Torah, but Torah is underneath of it, and that's all its themes, but he's accessing all of these interpretations of Torah, which are in what we call the, the prophets and the other writings of the Old Testament. So I, I think that what, what happens then is because of the centrality of Torah in the Old Testament, the Old Testament's already in motion. And so the New Testament is not starting from scratch. And so while I, I agree with your New Testament professor in the sense that something really profound happened in the um, revelation of God in Christ, and it emanates through the New Testament. But this gospel doesn't start then. This is a continuation of something that's been going on for a thousand years uh, from the time of uh, Moses and the redemption of God's people from Egypt. So let's sort of dive in a little bit more with that and what you just said, as far as um, all of this stuff, we see the gospel happening within Torah. Again, for new Bible readers or people just trying to get more situated with the Old Testament, you argue for Torah, first five books. That is, I think I have the exact quote in here somewhere. The Torah is the beginning of the gospel. There is no such thing as an adequate grasp of the gospel without apprenticeship on the Torah. I love that statement so much. Will you give me sort of a 30,000 foot view of Torah. What is it trying to accomplish when we say the gospel? I'm looking through, I don't see Jesus mentioned anywhere. So what are we saying when we say that? And, and that's kind of important because one of the trends today that sort of mutes the um, message is many Christians are fond of either looking for Jesus in every verse or sort of um, starting with the New Testament and sort of pushing this message backwards. So I, I would just suggest it's really helpful to read forward and to start with questions, not answers. Uh, because when we look at the the earliest Christians, they didn't do anything to the Old Testament. They didn't tweak it. They didn't adjust it. They didn't edit it. 
It doesn't need anything. It's already pointing forward. So to come into um, the first five books of the Bible with questions and reading forward, that gives uh, the reader an opportunity to see how Exodus, the book of Exodus, culminates in the miracle of forgiveness, how Leviticus resituates reality for God's people, for now they're worshipers who ever need to be preparing to come into the courts of the Lord. Uh, the book of Numbers warns of the dangers of temptation and uh, the dangers of self-indulgence. And Deuteronomy shows how God's people need to look forward. Of course, they look back, and that's how they look forward. They look back at what God has done uh, through his covenants with Abraham and his uh, great salvation of his people. But all of that is used to look forward at what God has before the peoples, as um, the book of Deuteronomy is set, as you know, on the banks of the Jordan River. They can see the uh, the land of promise that God had sworn to give to their ancestors. And so that threshold moment in Deuteronomy of the wilderness is behind them, the land of promise is before them, there, there's something important about capturing that moment in Deuteronomy. And so then we can look forward from that point of view and and look forward to, hey, there's going to be the Judah king who will return, uh, who will come. There's going to be a prophet like Moses that will arise. So there's some specific expectations, but we don't need to just narrowly focus on that. I think that when we read forward, that really provides the way to get sort of a redemptive framework for how we study God's revelation, that it culminates in the coming of Christ. Um, but we don't need to get to that too early. God took us time to get there. As I think about Torah and Pentateuch, I think most people can tend to lump it into two genres. Uh, you got the narratives and Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, we also have the laws and all the legal documents. So I just want to back up to that first one. When it comes to reading narratives of the Torah or even the Old Testament, you wrote another book on that, on how to read the narratives. Um, yes. And I'm curious, could you give us just a, a quick flyby as to how we read narratives? So I tend to see one of two extremes growing up the church I was at. It was like... Um, moral teachings, you know, slay the Goliaths in your life or the other extreme, which I experienced at another church where it's like, let's just blitz as fast as we can from David to Jesus and Jesus is awesome and not really spend time in the Old Testament text itself. Those are the two extremes, but I'm curious, how would you say when it comes to Torah or Old Testament narratives, how should I be reading those? Yeah, and that, that's a really good way to frame it. And that will really um, help because those are two easy ways to handle the Bible. And a lot of people do that. And it's, there's nothing particularly wrong with um, looking for models for righteousness and warnings against sin. But that's not really the function of narratives. Narratives are answering a different question. Uh, they're answering the question of identity. So when, when, when you know, I meet you, Jake, I, I, and I introduce myself to you and you introduce yourself to me. We don't list a bunch of facts and we don't like point to these little, you know, 
if we did, we'd I'd be like, stop giving me your resume. Tell me who you are. And then you would mm. give me a narrative because we frame our identity. We frame the significance and meaning of our lives within a narrative framework. Mm. And so then the questions really that the Old Testament narratives are answering is, um, who is Israel? Why are they here? Where are they going? Or if we want to um, just make it slightly more uh, uh, friendly for New Testament folk, who are the people of God? Why are they here? Wh wh where are they going? And that's where the answer is in terms of a, a redemptive framework of God's revelation. He reveals himself in mighty acts. He reveals himself through the prophetic word, but it's right. It's that's how we know who the Messiah is. Uh, we would only know who the Messiah is within this framework. And we who follow the Messiah, the Son of God, we have a severe identity crisis if we're not able to tell the story of God's redemption that culminates in the gospel of Christ. I mean, we don't really know who we are then. We're just, we. you're right, we are just left to moralizing. At that point, anybody can really make the Bible say anything. It is fascinating to think how much of the Old Testament and how much of the Torah is narrative and trying to capture our imaginations. And I think it's one thing um, as Westerners, I think we just want the bite size, give me the bullet points, give me the facts. And the Bible is doing a different thing and sort of in, inviting us into this story to meditate on and inhabit. For, um, for sure. And I would, I would just add to that. I mean, we don't have to slight the um, legal standards either. And I, and I don't think you're doing that. But it's, uh, um, I think that so often the Old Testament is just framed creation, the fall of humans into sin. Okay, where's Calvary? And then we we just jump past this whole, you know, there's no covenants, there's no chosen people, there's no redemption, there's no prophets, there's no exile and return. So the whole story that makes sense of the gospel of Christ is just jettisoned. Mm, but I think mm -hmm. that you know, when people do say, I'm going to read through the Bible and they get started, it's important that they prepare themselves. There's there, there's a lot of instructions. And it's important to remember in these instructions that God gives from Mount Sinai and through his servant Moses, that the main gist of almost every social law is to protect the weaker party. And so when we read it with modern eyes, we, we can't hear it. Uh, we need to see that God is a good and gracious, compassionate God, protecting those that cry out to him. And those laws uh, that he gives to his people are exactly to protect the vulnerable. Now, it's not the way they do it in the New Testament, and it's not the way that they do it, we do it today. But if we can imagine it this way, Old Testament laws are there to say, here's how God's people should live within the ancient Near East. Mm -hmm. The New Testament commandments are there to say, here's how God's people should live within the Roman Empire. Now, of course, both of those things need to be translated um, into how we live in the postmodern world. Mm -hmm. But we need to be patient enough um, when we go through these things and not be all judgmental and high and muddy and thinking we know everything because we're part of this modern world. Uh, we need to walk with the ancients uh, one of the things we just did with as as a class this week in my Pentateuch class, um, we I um 
I have a list. It has all the commands in the New, New Testament, in the New Testament. And so I had all the kids um, open it on their devices. Uh, I'm, this is my college class. I only teach one college class a year. Mostly I teach seminary. So in my college class, they all open up this list of 830 commands. And I asked them, I said, um, I'm going to give you 10 minutes. Find the three weirdest ones. And so they're all, ha, ha, ha. <laughs> So they um, spent 10 minutes and then I went around and we we wrote on the board, you know, the what, what's your most weird one? And we, we wrote several on the board and the students were amazed at how strange some of the New Testament commands are and how many of these commands, no Christian today obeys them. They're, they're right. Um, right. They're very weird. Right. And so I said, sure. I said, now listen, um, what's the point of this to the class? And they, they stopped to think and I said, do you realize we've been looking at a list of over 830 commands? Do you know that there's only 613 commands in Torah? <laughs> I said, That's good. it's amazing how people complain about all these laws in Torah when there's not that many compared to the New Testament and they're not as high of a level. When the New Testament comes along, Christ ups the ante, right? He famously says things like, well, you've heard it said, don't commit adultery. But I say to you, don't lust after another. And so this, this idea of like making it more stringent, that's what the New Testament is about. And it uh, the New Testament does not back down from the call to righteousness. It tightens things up. So all of that to say, Jake, I think yeah. it just, when we actually stop and think about what's going on in the Bible, it it sort of breaks our categories because we have all these uh, sort of learned stereotypes that just, um, sure, there's weird laws in the Old Testament and there's weird laws in the New Testament and we don't obey them either. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I hadn't even thought about that before. Would it be fair to say, so for the Old Testament, it's God calls us be holy. And then here's what this looks like specifically in your time and place. And then in the New Testament, you have the same call, be holy and follow the Messiah. And here's exactly what that looks call. like in your time and place. And then our job, 2000 years removed from the New Testament, is to pull out what are the wisdom principles. The same call to holiness still applies. So what does that look like in our time and place? Is that accurate? We, we could say that, but we, we want to make sure we put guardrails down because um, what didn't happen is... Uh, there was no release from, you know, adultery is still adultery, uh, murder is still murder. And so there's there's no backing down. And so we we have to be careful that we put guardrails down that, you know, where, where Christ does um, declare all foods clean and then has significant implications for how we approach God. Christ makes more stringent the, the moral law than even what was there in the Old Testament. So we, we, we probably need to, um, I, th I think you're right. We, we should focus on the wisdom teaching of instruction, but realize that there is this thou shalt not and this thou shalt that sure. uh, hasn't been put aside. And it's not just a matter of uh, in human interpretation and wisdom, so to speak. It's the wisdom of God, if you will. And I think that's probably what you're getting at. I yeah, if I'm no, that's, hearing you correctly, I'm a uh, I'm against all forms of murder, just for what it's worth. <laughs> uh, 
This is great. And I know our time is running out. And again, thank you so much for your time. This has been, I, I could talk to you far longer. So in this podcast series, we're trying to focus on Bible reading and spiritual formation. They go hand in hand. For you, what have been helpful Bible reading practices and even helpful Bible resources that you've gone to to help you meditate on the Bible even now, however many decades it's been of studying the Bible, what's been helpful for you? You know, for my personal reading, uh, I'll usually mix it up, but I, I try in my weeks as we come toward the Lord's Day each week and I prepare myself to gather with God's people, I especially find myself toward the end of a week um, going to the Psalms and to um, wh whatever my other studies are during the week, to go to the Psalms and to, you know, pray with the psalmists and join the congregation in the psalmists who they have all different things going on. But uh, Psalm 103 is one we were just reflecting on yesterday of the profoundness of the forgiveness of sin and uh, the way that that forgiveness just changes everything for us personally. Bless the Lord, O my soul. But then after this introduction, which focuses on this, then there's a congregation. There's a we're part of something larger. It's not just me and God. It's I'm part of God's people. I'm part of the congregation that has the great privilege of praising the name of the Lord with God's people on the Lord's day. And so I, I think that those rhythms of uh, our communal gatherings and recognizing that we're part of something larger. The, those are those are critical. And the other thing I would say, Jake, that's just um, especially for people getting started, nothing can be um, spending time studying the scripture with a trusted teacher and um, to have courses at our, our local church to help us to work through the scriptures, especially with trusted guides. And it is really good to use uh, books are part of our um, social uh, Christian community as well, larger Christian community, right? We we read books and that brings us together across time and space and so that we can have reliable guides to help us with the scriptures as well. So I think all of those kinds of things are what have, what's helped me because I get very excited about the Bible. And so I, I need trusted teachers to say, well, hold on there. <laughs> Let's uh, let's take sure, a step sure. back. You, you might want to rethink that. And we, we all need that because when we're able to get that, that vibrant um, truth that's part of God's revelation, we also need guardrails so that we can um, not get carried away and do something that's really useful with our lives. It's so helpful. And uh, that's a great question to close on. So Thank you, Gary, for your time. I know I took up a little bit too much. We'll just have to talk again another time. Yeah, it's a, it's a pleasure, Jake. And I, I really hope that um, you and uh, your folks there that you're studying with, uh, I, I'm really encouraged that you're devoting yourselves to um, uh, God's word, all of it, uh, mm -hmm. all the way back to the beginning of it. Uh, that's, that's a really terrific way to um, devote yourself to his will. That was Dr. Gary Schnichter. What do we think? I really enjoyed listening to him. 
a couple of things really like popped out to me. One, and this is potentially more on the sentimental end than than anything else. I I loved getting to hear just a little bit of his story of coming to faith and what inspired his interest and just kind of like where he was even at in terms of his journey with Jesus. You know, it kind of felt like he. Uh, and probably in his words, like backed into the career that, that he's into now, you know, his vision for his life was something different, but I, I love getting to hear how Jesus just met people and changed people. I think sometimes when we think about particularly biblical academics, it can be easy to think of them as like, oh, they operate in this other world, Mm -hmm. like up in their little academic ivory tower, they're not this whole Christianity thing isn't to them what it is to us here on the ground level, but that's just not true. Mm-hmm. It's just not true. Like they are, they are fellow humans with us who have met Jesus the way that we have met Jesus, uh, and they are doing their best with these gifts that they've been given uh, to help us grow in our understanding of who God is, what His Word says, and what He has for us. And so I just, I just appreciate getting to hear things like that. Um, I, I think it's important that we we humanize, you know. Um, the experts, so so to For speak. Sure. Yeah. Um, but the second thing, on a more like content level, uh, I really enjoyed hearing his stuff about the uh, importance and uh, essential nature of the Old Testament. Like I think the phrase he used in it, he was like, "I like the New Testament, but we don't need it." Like what right. he meant was like the Old Testament gives us what we need to understand who God is, what he wants for us, to understand what righteousness is, to point us to salvation and the Messiah. You know, I think mm. I brought this up in uh, a previous episode, but it's like you, the scriptures that were being used by the early church for discipleship and doctrinal education and all of that kind of stuff, it it wasn't the New Testament. They didn't have the New Testament at that right. point. Like the New right. Testament was being written. Uh, what they had was the Old Testament. They were looking to the Old Testament scriptures to inform how they ought believe, how they ought live, what they ought do, who God was, all, all these kinds of things. Uh, and that and that was really the, the um, chord that he was uh, trying to strike there. And I think it's really profound because— we just have a tendency as modern Christian people to sort of want to relegate the Old Testament because it can feel foreign. So it's like, oh, well, let's just leave that over there. You know, yep. what we really need is we really need the New Testament. The New Testament's what's going to guide us. But I appreciate his perspective. We're just like, oh, but the old, it's so rich and we need it. Let's let's dive into that, that yeah. together. He probably said stuff like that too because he's so used to hearing yeah. an overemphasis on the New Testament Absolutely. in Christianity. Yeah, I, I similarly just like his tone and the way he talked it was, it's refreshing to hear scholars speak in a way, it feels different than like other academic pursuits. He speaks with like love and affection, mm. obviously for God and for this book and what he has studied. I think this is unique to me maybe, but other people I think probably have experienced something like this. I grew up in a Christian school and in the church and I I wasn't growing in love for God by studying God's word as a textbook, mm. as a seventh grader, eighth grader, ninth grader. Yeah. And so I kind of assume that people who do study God's word like a textbook also are not. Uh, I mean, that's so unfair, right? And right. this is from 20 years ago that I was feeling that. But I just love that, like, oh, this, you can tell it's deepening yeah. his love for who God is in terms of, yeah, content, just his point about narratives and the questions that narratives are meant to answer mm. really sticks out to me. That the way, I mean, I think that's one of the things that we struggle with in the Old Testament, right? We don't know what to do with it and what to do with these narratives. That's, that was great that you asked that, Jake, and kind of pointed him, uh, that he pointed us to the reality that narratives are meant to answer identity questions. Mm. I just thought that was such a helpful thing for us to take 
with us. And I had a seminary professor who used to say, like, we're, we ask the wrong questions when we come to the Old Testament. He was particularly talking about Genesis, that we ask, like, how questions of the Old Testament, what questions and how questions, whereas not the, the intent is who question. Mm. Like, the intent is almost always who. Yeah. And the original readers, like you were talking about, the yeah. early church would have known to read it as a who yeah. question, right? Yeah. Not how and the mechanics and the you know, they were pre-enlightenment. So they didn't, they weren't looking for the same things we're looking for. So I just loved his call to see narratives as, again, not that they don't have what and how implications, but that they're primarily about who these people are and who God is. What'd you think, Jake? What were some of the takeaways for you? Echoing everything y'all said, I appreciate that. Here's someone who has thought deeply about the Old Testament and who sees Jesus shining so clearly and just wants to help the church. Just like you were saying, Bailey, it's like him talking about his story of really grasping and owning his faith around like that high school period. Like yeah. I saw so much of even myself, someone growing up in the church, come high school, having all the questions. It was like freshman year of college where I had a very similar experience of here are people my age legitimately loving Jesus and how that led him down this path of studying the Bible more, owning it for himself, eventually sort of getting his foot in the door with academics. It's like, Mm. I just saw a lot of myself and as he relates to his story, Mm. here's someone older in the faith, thought through this so much more, still loves Jesus a whole lot and wants to equip his people. I just, I love that. Yeah. I'm just so thankful for his willingness to do the interview. And we were just chatting before we started recording that, Jake has been reaching out to different professors and scholars and that it actually hasn't been hard to get them to interview. Like what you just said about them wanting to bless the church. I'm just really encouraged. Again, it might, might be our stereotypes of professors (laughs) coming out or academics or whatever, but I just love their willingness, his willingness to, to talk to you and to bless our church family. Dr. Gary Schnichter, like I mentioned at the beginning, he's written a number of books. The links are in the show notes would highly recommend All of those to you, and since we are studying stories within the Torah, would highly recommend Torah Story. It unpacks all the themes within those first five books, how they're all interconnected, how they're foundational to the Old Testament, and understanding the New Testament, how it connects to Jesus. It's awesome. I can't recommend it enough. Maybe mm-hmm. I say that because I geek out on this stuff, but it's just, <laughs> a little bit, a little bit. It's so so good. So would highly recommend that to you. All right. So until next time, we'll talk to y'all later. Bye, Bye guys. guys.